following is a paid program. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the management or ownership of Score North, KSTP AM 1500. The following is a presentation of Financial Crisis Recovery. Foreclosure, short sales, bankruptcy, credit card debt, job loss, depreciating home values, money management. Peace of mind when it comes to your finances seems completely out of reach under current conditions, but there is a way to achieve it. For the next 60 minutes, you're going to find out how to cover your assets. Cover your assets. Now, here's nationally renowned speaker and expert on getting you on the path to financial strength, Todd Rooker. Good. Well, welcome, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Just uh, finished up with Mike and Jason's show, Minnesota Home Talk. Always, always enjoyable. Uh, thankful that these guys let me jump in. That's uh, a good time, as always. I listen to them every morning when I come in. It just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> I thought that was leverage that made you feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> well, that too, Evan. That too. Uh, you know, I, I, I really feel fortunate this morning. Uh, I have Mike Overson, uh, the amazing mortgage Mike Overson from Leader One Financial. Uh, and, you know, uh, we use, uh, I and, and the clients that I work with, we use Mike regularly on a regular basis. And so just as an example, last week I had a young attorney who has, uh, who has gained some real success in his income. And, uh, you know, we have been talking about whether or not the money that he earns above what it costs him to live, where should he put that money? And is the leverage, I just, we got to have a buzzer for this thing. Right. Is the leverage going to be in putting that money back into his business in terms of the rate of return? Or is the money going to be to put it into something else like, let's say, real estate? And is it useful to do that even to the extent that there's diversification in that? Uh, and that that money now begins to make him money without him, him having to do anything. Uh, in any event, uh, the, he is the typical type of person who hires me and, and retains me to teach them all about how to discern what's a good investment property, what's not, how the formulas work, and all of those things. Well, invariably, after we go through all of that stuff, I send them over to Mike Overson, who then tells them, uh, what they can qualify for in terms of investment properties. Because mind you, we just talked on uh, Mike and Jason's show about, you know, the pitfalls and challenges of going to a mortgage broker to buy your home that you live in and saying, how much home can I afford? And then you immediately go to that number and start maxing yourself out financially. And it takes away from your ability to spend less than you earn because you're already spending every dollar you have on a lifestyle and a home. And there is no money to invest with. But the dichotomy or difference between those two is that we need to have capacity above and beyond capacity, meaning the ability to make a payment above and beyond the mortgage payment on the home that you live in or even the rent payment that you live in so that you can qualify for an investment property. Now, there's ways to do that that offset some of that requirement, and we're going to be talking about that. But there's a lot of intricacy in how to qualify for investment properties, and one of the most important things for every business owner out there is that your limitation, your ability to expand and grow as a business, even if in the real estate investment business, is limited by your access to finance. So being able to position yourself, knowing the underwriting standards, how you need to look from a transparent standpoint, 
uh, check stubs, bank statements, profit loss income statements, tax returns, how you need to look to be to from from Mike's standpoint to look attractive for financing and qualify for ever more more investment properties to build a portfolio of investment properties. That is a skill and knowledge that you must attain if you want to grow 10, 20 properties or something like that. So that's what we're going to talk about. So Mike, so great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tad. Hey, man, it's it's going to be great. So tell me, you know, when somebody comes to you, um, well, maybe this is a good place to start. How rare is it in comparison to the number of people who want to finance a home, refinance their home, buy a new home that they live in? How frequently out of all the deals that you do, and I know you're getting deluged with, 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 uh, with work in today's market, how many of them are investment properties and how many of them are just homes to live in? Uh, I would say that about 97 percent 98 percent are probably primary residences wow. or second homes so you know you're buying your cabin up north or something like that two to three percent are maybe investment properties that's what i'm seeing right now as far as our purchases going on and, par- and part of the reason too part of the reason too is you know inventory is so low right you know so now now you have you still have the same amount of buyers out there every single year you got the same amount of buyers out there um, but now there's less properties to buy so each one of those properties now has more buyer pressure on there. So if you're going to go in and buy this property as a primary residence, you're probably going to be willing to spend a little bit more to get that property because it's one you're going to be living in and right. you want a place to live in. Right. If you're buying it as an investment property, you might not go twenty grand over list price, thirty grand over list price in order to get that property because, again, it's an investment property. You're trying to obviously keep your cost down for that yep. particular property. So the inventory is probably driving a good piece of that number, right? Yep. And so if we had more inventory to look at, you would see more investment properties getting, you know, being bought out there. And, and so, you know, with that, let's just, let's assume, I, I know that's true. And, and really folks, what he's saying is the prices are being driven up because people just want to live in the home without any real consideration for profitability within an investment property. They just want a place to live. And look, we all know that once somebody goes to, to, to into the purchasing market and attempts to buy a home and some of them, many of them invariably will get their fingers pinched in the door, meaning that they make an offer, they're too late it's not enough they offer less than less than than list price and they lose a home and now they've got the fear of loss and the next thing you know they're they're bidding higher to get these properties and that bidding up of those properties makes it harder and harder to buy a property to invest in that's going to be profitable now i already brought up in the last segment with mike and jason that even if that's true, the exceedingly low interest rates and the inevitable coming of inflation, however much, how, whenever it happens, all of those things are, as we call it in the financial or finance business, compensating factors to justify why it might not be such a terrible thing to pay more. Nevertheless, they're pushing people out of it. But here's the thing, Mike. How many people, in fact, screw that, you yourself, how many how many people do you think would have benefited financially and dramatically so if the first home that they had purchased they had purchased it as an investment property even though they were moving in it to live in it uh you can move into a home get get owner occupied financing after 2 years you can convert it to a rental you'll never have to worry about the due on sale clause or anything like that 
If people bought their first house, lived in it for, let's say, two to five years, and then moved on and didn't roll the equity from one to the next, but saved during that first home to prepare for the next one and then kept that home, would that have been a good strategy for people financially? It would have been amazing. I mean, just because the thing is, is getting into, think of the cost of getting into a true investment property. You got your down payment, typically 20%, right? Right. And then you have interest rates that are slightly higher because we spoke about in the show with Jason is that, you know, if you own two properties, a primary residence and investment property and times get tight and you have to default on one of those loans, which one are you going to default on? Right. The investment property, because if that property goes away, you still at least have a house to live in, you got a roof overhead, all that stuff. And so that's why interest rates are higher. That's why down payment requirements are higher to purchase a true investment property is because of the additional risk there. Um, But if you can buy your first property with three or 5% down at the interest rates where we're at at 2.625 now for top tier (sighs) credit, you know, and then you move on to the next one. I mean, think about it. You just acquired an investment property. Then when you go buy your next house, you just acquired an investment property for three or five percent down at two point six two five. No other person can get that unless they're buying a primary residence, right? But you have an investment property now that has those stats on it. Very low barrier of entry to get into that, and it's at historically low interest rates. So, so this is, folks, what we're describing here is a recipe for financial success. Yes. I mean, if you just look at two people, one who owns a property free and clear, invariably, because that's what will happen, uh, and one who doesn't, they both fund their retirement accounts. At the end of the day, all things being equal, one person is going to have a greater net worth than the other. It's very simple. And... You know, when we teach, Mike, when we teach people to buy investment properties, we because, you know, typically in a normal world, you're going to be looking at about a 1% increase in rate versus owner-occupied, non-owner-occupied properties, which which is pretty substantial over a 30-year period of time, especially when you consider the lost opportunity cost of the money. However, here's the thing. When we do it, we're always saying you want to be able to put 20% down. Now, sometimes you maybe put more down to make the numbers work because the goal is always that I put my down payment in, but then I never feed the property again. So the operational costs of the property against the rents leaves me with enough money to cover all long, long-term long cost of ownership. So I typically say you're going to have to have 20% down, which frankly, a lot of lenders require that you have 20 to 30% down on an investment property. However... You buy a property and live in it for two to five years and only put three and a half to five percent down. Well, during the time that you live in that property, yes, you didn't put enough money down, but market rents go up. And so your equity position becomes 20% by the time you move out of that property and you have gotten into an investment property with very little down at a time, you know, if you had to go and buy your first rental property with 20% down, you probably wouldn't have had the money to do it and make the numbers work, right? You'd been feeding it out of your own personal income month after month. Now you move out of it, that property has appreciated in value. As a result, market rents have gone up and now the numbers do work and you got into it early and now that property is going to be paid off with somebody else's money. What an incredible financial strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go to the next one and you wash, rinse, repeat. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. And and you know what? It's funny because when somebody does start young like that, they tend to be that way. Because once it works, light bulb, like just boom. Absolutely. But here's the here's the funny statistic about that. You know how many people, on average, move in move out of a property? Well, actually, average investor, real estate investor. You know how long they stay in the industry, Mike? 
I don't know that stat. Two years. You know why that is, folks? Because they move into a home, they make it their own, they fall in love with it, literally like it's their own children, and then when, forgive me, the crazy animals who rent it come in and destroy all that stuff, they're absolutely heartbreaking and destroyed, and it isn't about the money, it's about the emotional impact that they can't deal with because that house literally is like their own children that's being damaged, and they can't handle it, and they want to sell the property. It's an investment, folks. It's not your kid. (laughs) (laughs) So if you can contend with that and you do it successfully. So, you know, when you talk to people, hey, should I get into investment real estate? Oh, gosh, no, never do that. That that's terrible. Well, look, you're talking to the wrong people. Depends how you do it. That's right. Depends. The people that did it wrong are going to tell you to don't do it. That's right. And 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 we're happy that there's lots of those. <laughs> yeah, right? And the people that the people that do it right will tell you, "Yeah, it's it's been great, but this is how you need to do it." You know, and then they they hopefully give you some of their real life experiences of like, "I did this on my first one, that was a mistake. Don't do that." Right. Now I did this on my second one and that was awesome. So do that, you know, <laughs> if you're going to get into this. And so yeah, there's going to be some hurdles along yeah, the way. You're going to make some mistakes. And but. it's ironic, folks. You know, you always learn more from your mistakes. I've got a couple coming to me on Tuesday who are going to be bringing me a retainer to start working with them. In 2009, they were in a compromised position and lost about 10 properties. But you know what? They're coming back because they know what the mistakes were, or at least they want me to help them over come and avoid those mistakes, but they want to get back into it because they do see how good it really is. So, you know, with that, let's talk, Mike, a little bit about, let's assume that somebody isn't going to do that. And by the way, the real point about that is nearly everybody who's of somewhat adjusted age, you know, I'm, I'm old, Mike, Mike is older, but he's not my age. But nearly everybody who's been around for any amount of time, you explain that scenario and they all, they all put their heads down and say, yeah, I wish I'd have done that. But here's the frustrating part. None of them teach their kids that. They, they, they say that. They all know what a great thing it was, but they don't teach their kids that and their kids are clueless. So, so we're going to try to do that right now, but we're going to assume that you don't buy your first investment property as Uh, the home you're going to live in. You own a property and you want to buy an investment property. And we're going to talk a little bit about the finance requirements and how the formulas work to determine if you could and how you would qualify to purchase your first investment property in this incredibly great opportunity that we find ourselves in. So, Mike, tell me if I own a property and I'm qualifying for the property that I live in, they're taking my income and they're looking at my my income relative to my capacity to make a payment. And what is, on average, I know that there's every mortgage program, many mortgage programs are different. On average, what is the amount of, of income that they're going to take from me to qualify for a house? How much, what's the percentage I, I'm, they're going to use? So you're talking about like a max debt to income ratio. Cor- correct. So based on your monthly income, you know, how much, how much of a monthly payment can you qualify for? That's right. really how, how it works. So if you're looking, they, the, the main thing to look at is your back-end debt-to-income ratio. So it's going to be your gross monthly income coming in and your monthly payments going out. The monthly payments going out that they include are anything that shows up on your credit report, car loans, 
student loans, credit card minimum payments, anything like that that would show up on a credit report, plus any housing payments that you have out there. So when you add all of those together, in in a, most cases, you're going to be between 45 and 50% is what they're going to allow for that debt-to-income ratio. So, so let, let's 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 revisit or go back on that just a little bit. So, the reality is that different mortgage programs look at you differently. Uh, you could immediately you could begin with a with an income gross rev, gross income relative to a capacity to pay, and then you could overlay that with your what Mike just described your DTI or debt to income ratio because your DTI is taking away from your capacity to make payments on a long-term loan like a mortgage. And so they're saying, all right, if you have, and and by the way, long-term payments in mortgage finance are going to be any payment you have to make for 11 months or more. And if you're making extra principal payments towards accelerating that loan and paying it off early, those won't be included in, in the way that it's looked at. It will be, it will be looked upon as if it's going to take based on minimum payments, 11 months or more to pay that sucker off. That's long-term debt and literally dollar for dollar takes away from your capacity to qualify for a home loan. So when Mike says it's 45 to, 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 you know, 45% or whatever it happens to be, what they're really looking at is your gross income and they're not, they're not doing it that way. They're not saying, okay, you're going to get 31% of your gross income. And then if you have debt, if you have long-term debt that exceeds 10%, everything over and above that, which now we're at 41% is going to take away from your capacity to qualify for a loan. They're just saying across the board, here's how much it's going to be. And every, every payment you have is going to affect your capacity. So you you have to be very conscious, don't you, Mike, that every payment that you have. Now, by the way, we're not talking about utilities and insurance and we're talking about financial obligations, right? Why don't you just describe what that means? Yep. Yeah. So it, it, what goes into this calculation is, like I said, anything that would show up on a credit report. So do utilities payments show up on a credit report? No. You know, not unless you do that Experian boost or whatever, where they're <laughs> taking your info and they're putting on there. Don't do that, by the way. Right. Um, you're just completely destroy your debt to income ratio because if you pay two hundred fifty dollars a month on electricity, well, now that's a two hundred fifty dollar a month payment you got to cover in your debt to income ratio. I've seen people have every single utility report, and so then that's another seven eight hundred dollars that's reporting on there that is going against their debt-to-income ratio, where if they wouldn't do that, it would be gone and they'd qualify for way more. They'd qualify for something better. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. Um, yeah, but it's um, you know it's minimum credit card payments. It's uh, auto loans, auto leases, um, student, student loans. loans, you know, all that type of stuff. Yeah, and, and so, you know, when you, when you think about how you're trying to make yourself look good financially, I mean, the best thing you can possibly do is to, sh- is to show up and have virtually no long-term debt whatsoever. So your gross income is not affected or offset at all by the 11 month or more long-term payments that you have to make and you qualify. Now that certainly does not mean that you use the maximum capacity to qualify for a home because that will get you into trouble very quickly. But what you should be conscious of is that if you're in a home already, its chances are already taking away from your income capacity to qualify for a loan, something in the range of 20 to 40%. Is that accurate? Yeah, some yep, somewhere in there. Yep. So so now when you go to get an investment property, because that investment property maybe is a single family home that has no history and has not been performing to show that it actually will even work financially, 
they're going to look at your ability to make that payment and the other one, and your income is going to be able to, going to need to be able to qualify for both unless you have a tenant immediately. Talk a little bit about that, Mike. So, so most loan programs will allow you to use assumed rents or market rents, even though if the property is vacant. So let's say you're going to buy a townhouse and it's vacant. There's no renter in there. There's no person in there. It's just, you know, a guy owns it and there's no one in there. Um, when you go to get a loan on that particular property, the appraiser is going to do two things. He's going to put a value on that property to say, okay, this property is worth X compared to the other comparable properties in the area. But then the market rents are X. And so they do rooms, one bath, whatever it is. So they do a market rental analysis and that's part of the appraisal. Now the conventional loan programs these days will allow that buyer to use 75% of what those market rents are to qualify for that property. Um, so, so that's very encouraging for investors. You know, I, I remember back in the day it was 70%. So 75% is actually an adjusted increase. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty powerful because in the old days, Mike, you had to have a tenant with a one year lease or more at closing to offset 70% of what your payment was. Otherwise you had to qualify for the whole thing. Right. Yep. So, so coming out of the crash in 2005, six, seven, when that happened, Obviously, all those mortgage um, loan programs swung for the very conservative. We're not going to use let you use rents on the subject property right. to qualify. You got to qualify on your own things like that. Now they've they kind of relaxed back. it and they swung back a little bit. So yeah, so if you went and bought an investment property back in 2010, yeah, you're like, uh, I never got to use the market rents on the subject property. I had to qualify on my own income and I couldn't use that. That is true. Today's world, you can use the market rents. They've kind of eased up a line a little bit to say, okay, you know, we don't have these crazy loan zero down programs, you know, and all this stated income stuff. Like people actually have to prove their income. So now through uh, a market rental analysis on this appraisal, we can prove what the market rents are. So we'll allow you to use that. And so, um, so that's very helpful. Right. 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 So if you have a, a townhouse that you're going to buy as investment property and the total payments on that townhouse are a thousand bucks a month and you can get rents of a thousand bucks a month. Well, you can use 75% of the thousand in rent. So you got $750 a month to offset your payment of a thousand. Now you just have the $250 to cover on your own income and you're good to go. Now, having said that, Mike, we have just uncovered the challenge of building an investment portfolio, um, which we're going to talk about the challenges to do the exact same thing if you're an independent business owner or self-employed or a 1099 income earner, which are, whoa. And then we're going to talk about the fact that, okay, it's only 25 to 30% qualification for that property. And that's fine with your first investment property. But what happens when you've got three, four, five, six properties? How does that work? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. We will be right back. Great Waters Financial specializes in helping you retire comfortably. When it comes to seeking retirement guidance, you don't need a salesman. You need an ally. Great Waters Financial doesn't have a hidden agenda. Their professionals at Great Waters Financial focus on what matters, your financial peace. Start planning for your future now and make your money work for you. Great Waters Financial is the official financial planning service of Cover Your Assets. For more information, call 612-360-2127 or go to greatwatersfinancial.com. Fix Auto has been the collision repair leader in the Twin Cities for over 40 years. Hi, I'm Matt Feehan, second generation owner. Our mission at Fix Auto is to provide you with the simplest collision repair experience anywhere. 
If you're in an accident and you need help, my team is here and ready for you. You can find us on the web at FixAutoUSA.com. That's FixAutoUSA.com. We are Fix Auto, home of the WOW experience. Hello, I'd like to talk with you about financial coaching. Traditional financial planners help you make decisions about stocks, bonds, and mutual funds with money you already have. That's great, but who helps you accumulate more money in the first place? Who helps you make day-by-day life decisions? Who isn't trying to sell you something? Like, should I go back to school? Am I wasting money on insurance? How to purchase and finance a car, boat, home, lake cabin, or investment property? How to start, manage, and sell a business? It's about making minor errors that become colossal mistakes and cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. The problem is that you're so busy pursuing your career that you're forced to make critical financial decisions that have a dramatic long-term effect on your finances without adequate research or information. Rooker Financial Coaching is like having a personal CFO for every decision. Don't waste time lamenting the bad decisions of the past or money that's run through your fingertips. Stop procrastinating. Call Rooker Financial Coaching, 763-559-3800. That's 763-559-3800. Call me today, Todd Rooker, 763-559-3800. That's 763-559-3800. Did your employer make you sign a promissory note when joining the company and now you want to leave but you're afraid your firm will pursue you personally for that debt? This is Jesse Keyboard from the law firm Parker Daniels Keyboard. I recently represented a client who had signed such a note and I was able to get them out of their $500,000 debt to their company which allowed them the freedom to exit a bad employment situation and enter a much better one. Meeting our clients' objectives is our focus at Parker Daniels Keyboard. And in this regard, we win. Our experienced trial team of lawyers at Parker Daniels Keyboard have secured major victories in state and federal courts across the country and through arbitration. We have the legal expertise in all types of business disputes, labor and employment matters, real estate matters, shareholder disputes, financial transactions, security issues, and appeals. For wise counsel, winning results, contact us at Parker Daniels Keyboard, a premier litigation law firm that provides efficient, aggressive, and innovative solutions to complex legal problems. Wise counsel, winning results. Go to ParkerDK.com. He can lift a bus straight over his head. He can fly around the world in seconds. And he has the power to regenerate entire limbs. Okay, so Jason Walgrave isn't actually a superhero. But once you visit his website to find out what he knows about real estate, you may start to think he's superhuman. That's because at JasonWalgrave.com, you'll find absolutely anything you need to know about real estate in the Twin Cities. Whether you're looking to buy or sell your home, check out JasonWalgrave.com, the number one place for all your real estate questions. What are the first three letters in the word SMART? SMA. And SMA Exteriors and Restoration has made SMART affordable since 1994. As an LP SmartSide Master Level Siding Installer, a GAF Master Elite Roofing Installer, and as an expert in installing windows made in Minnesota, made for Minnesota, you're guaranteed to make the SMART choice. Call today for your free estimate, 877-SMA-TODAY, or go online to SMA2DAY.com. Finding a good banker and CPA are like having a good doctor or mechanic. You cannot fully appreciate the value they represent until you're in a pinch and truly need them. However, that's not the time to go looking for one. Instead, you want to position and strategize well in advance for a favorable outcome. CPA Arliss Cleveland of Arliss Cleveland LTD is the CPA firm you've been looking for. 
As many of you already know, if you're looking for a great CPA, Arliss Cleveland gets my highest endorsement. Arliss Cleveland LTD has now formed a strategic relationship with Village Bank, conveniently located in the Village Bank building, located at 9298 Central Avenue North, Suite 412 Blaine, Minnesota. You can also find Arliss Cleveland LTD certified public accountants and consultants by going to accountingoffices.net or by simply calling 763-786-0639. That contact information again, accounting-offices.net or by simply calling 763-786-0639. If you're a business owner, I have an ingenious opportunity for you. It puts business owners like you in contact with other businesses to barter goods and services without cash. With over 20,000 businesses involved, chances are we have the products and services you want. Barter dollars are the same value as real dollars, so when someone buys from you, those barter dollars can be used to purchase goods and services. You can watch our video by going to thebarterguy.com or call me at 952-856-8866. Again, that number, 952-856-8866. You're listening to Cover Your Assets with Todd Rooker. Welcome back, everybody. I think this is an incredibly interesting subject. So we left the the break talking, uh, or at least uh telling you we would come back and talk about self-employed borrowers. That means not necessarily just business owners, but 1099 individuals. Anybody who is not a salary W-2 income earner with withholdings and consistent income working for a company. Well, in, in all, at all times, and most certainly now, it has become increasingly hard for these people to qualify for loans at all. As a matter of fact, I dare I say that when you go in to get a loan, whether that's from a bank or from Mike as a mortgage broker, and I should tell you, we use Mike for everything. And if you can't tell, the insightful knowledge that he has assists me with my clients so much, I can't even I can't even begin to tell you the value that it represents. Mike is a sponsor of our show. We're a sponsor of his show. And we've had a partnership for a long time, Mike. Mike is our guy. And being able to, to to know these things really allows you to position yourself. But as a self-employed borrower, here's the challenge that you have. And remember, when I say that, if you're a 1099 income earner, that's who you are. So the way it works is you have to have typically two years worth of income. There are exceptions with one year, but generally it's two years. And that two years uh, of income, you're going to take an average, which means that if last year it was 50000 and this year is 100000 they're going to take that average at $75,000, but only if the most recent year is higher than the year before, in which case we're going to use the lesser year. Oh my God, how devastating is that? But you know, here's been the good news in the past. In the past... I could use last year's income statement as in 2019 because remember nobody's filed their taxes yet for 2021 and even if they even if that had been done there's many businesses who have filed an extension and they'll let you get away with that for a period of time so I could have terrible income in 2020 and as long as 2018 and 2009 looked copacetic I'd be able to get a loan now that doesn't mean that it was easy. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm saying that when you say you're self-employed to, to a broker or banker, most of the time they put their hand, head in their hands and they go, oh, my God, here we go. Uh, as opposed to somebody who has this nice static income every two weeks. 
But now they're making it even harder. And so as we talk about investment properties, just multiply this challenge by investment properties. So talk about the new requirement they're, they're requesting now, Mike. Yeah. So the new requirement that came out, again, this is, this is like standard conventional loans, re- residential right, right. loans, right? So um, Fannie and Freddie are the two government-sponsored enterprises that have their say into what a lender needs to provide and what a lender needs to do in order to um, document a borrower's ability to repay. So right. that's, that's a big and, thing. And we should say, guys, when we're talking about this, these guidelines we're talking about are known as compliant loans so that these loans can be sold on the open market if a bank has liquidity issues, if they want to divest themselves of, of, of loans. They can sell a loan portfolio to another company who will buy that loan portfolio. That's why you see its successors and or signs on your on your documents. And the, the purchase of those will only be done if the portfolio is conformed. If not, those loans aren't worth as much money. And that means that the bank will have to hold those notes, and that's very problematic should that bank find themselves in any financial challenges from a, from a bank examiner's perspective. Right. Just want to let you know that. Yes. Go ahead, Mike. So, um, you know, so now, especially with COVID, right? So all COVID has done a lot of weird stuff to different industries. Think of the self-employed hairstylist. Right, someone who goes in there, she's not W two'd. He or she is not W two'd. They go in, they rent a chair at a salon. You know, so they got to pay their chair rental. They're going to get their money from their clients. They have expenses going on, and then the government comes in and says, "Hey, COVID's here. We got to shut you guys down for three months." Then what happens? Right, you're not making any income for three months. Um, you know, and and it's not by your choice. It's just. You physically don't have income for three months because of you right. know the COVID stuff. So, so I'm sure that they're make all the lenders. I'm sure they're all making allowances for this challenge in our economy, and it's not affecting those people at all, right? No, well, no, because <laughs> because because again, it's this re- ability to repay. What happens if COVID spikes again and the same you know shutdown happens in the future? Right, we have to account or adjust for that because if that person's not making income for three months because of the shutdown. We got to make sure that they still have the ability to repay that loan because we don't want to put them in a compromising position. So this is the government talking, right? So we got to protect those people and make sure they don't go through a foreclosure that really wasn't their fault, you know, that type of deal. So this is what we're going to do. So in order to document the ability to repay for any self-employed person now is not only do you have to have your last two years worth of tax returns and then a year to date P&L, we want to see the last three months bank statements, business bank statements, to make sure that the deposits going into those bank statements somewhat matches the income that you've shown on your last two years worth of tax returns. Wow. So for for you business owners who make statements like, well, I can't afford to pay myself this month. Uh, you pay your employees, you don't pay yourself, or you pay yourself willy-nilly. You're an, you're, you're an LLC who is not declared as an S-corp for tax purposes, so you don't declare a salary, and you just take draws here and there whenever you need money. Well, your business might may, be making money, but you're not paying yourself any money, and they don't know what you've got going on, and guess what? You don't qualify for the loan that you would have otherwise qualified for with last two years worth of income, but because you don't pay yourself anything, you just put yourself in a compromised position. Wow. Potentially, yep. Wow. Now, now when you when you have an S corp, um, they are going to look at your personal and your business tax returns. So, right. if your S corp shows a hundred grand at the end of the year, right, um, and your W two shows zero, you, if you're the hundred percent owner of that S corp, you still got the hundred grand on the business side of things you can use to qualify. Right. Um, if you 
uh, show 50 grand on the S Corp side of things at the end of the year and you W2'd yourself 50 grand, you still got the 100 grand to use. So it's, it's, you got to look at it both ways. A lot of people will be like, well, yeah, I have an S Corp. I'll just W2 myself more and I'll qualify for more. And not really, because if you W2 yourself 50 grand more this year, that means your business is going to be down 50 grand. So, you know, it's a little, it's, I a, mean, at, at the end of the day, Mike, most, given that, that an S Corp and an LLC are both flow throughs. And folks, what that means is that whatever the profitability is of the business, that is your income. Yeah. And so a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, the, the the financiers just simply say, I don't even care what it says on your personal income. I just want to look at what it says on your business, if you were profitable or not. So if you're playing games, they can see it immediately. The other challenge, though, about beyond the income is that they are always looking at capacity issues. You want a business loan. And when you take all that money as personal income and spend it on your lifestyle and don't save it, you don't show you have capacity to qualify for financing. And remember, when you're when you're dealing with small business people, they're always trying to show they make no money so they can pay no taxes. Right. And then they go to qualify for a loan and they don't have the income to show. And moreover, their business looks less profitable than the industry standard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, there's definitely a lot of a lot of self-employed people, a lot of business owners that I've worked with, you know, in the past and present to, to say, okay, based on based on your last two years worth of tax returns, you know, this is what you qualify for today. If you want to qualify for X, then this is what your next tax return has to look like. Now you got to know that, hey, if I file that that tax return, then I'm going to have X amount of dollars to pay for income taxes because of that higher income amount so I can qualify for this. So not only do you have probably the down payment requirements to qualify for the house you want to get, but now you have to account for how are you going to pay the IRS off by claiming this more taxes? Are you going to have a payment plan set up with them or are you going to have the money to pay them off in full? If you have a payment plan that you're going to set up with them, now we got to take that monthly payment into your debt to income ratio. So now we got to take that into account to say, okay, so now you've got to show a little bit more income because now you have an additional payment you're going to have to cover with that. And so it's kind of that, you know, the dog chasing its tail type of deal. It's like, okay, you're going to show it here, but then you got to account for it there and you got to account for it over here too. And remember now, if you're self-employed and you get into the, into the, the rental business, the investment property business, that is a business unto itself. And so then at that point, your goal is to manage the property that you own for two years to demonstrate that the prop, the, the property is profitable unto its own and actually creates income for you. So no longer does it offset your capacity to qualify with your income. That's quite a dance, Mike. That's quite a dance yeah. to know how to do that. And this is why so few people actually succeed in the investment business. Even, you know, as Mike just said, 97 out of 100 people are going to come to him for a personal mortgage and only 3% for an investment property. Because as I said a, a short time ago, your capacity to grow, especially in the real estate investment business, is based on your ability to secure financing. And that's why you need to understand. And this is not about right or wrong. This is about knowing the way that you need to look and then positioning yourself to look that way. So as an example, as Mike has just described, you would never want to, if you chose to go into an industry where you would require financing, not want to show income to yourself because that could really hurt you in your ability to secure financing, right? Right. right. 
Very important. How many business owners know this who are small business owners? Almost none. <laughs> Almost none. Let's take a break. We're going to be right back with Mike Mike uh, Overson from Leader One Financial. If you have an interest in qualifying for investment properties, buying an investment portfolio, or simply just want to refinance your home or buy a new home, I'm going to tell you right now, use Mike Overson and Leader One for years and years. He is the best. We will be right back. If you're a business owner, I have an ingenious opportunity for you. It puts business owners like you in contact with other businesses to barter goods and services without cash. With over 20,000 businesses involved, chances are we have the products and services you want. Barter dollars are the same value as real dollars, so when someone buys from you, those barter dollars can be used to purchase goods and services. You can watch our video by going to thebarterguy.com or call me at 952-856-8866. Again, that number, 952-856-8866. I have trusted attorney Brian Aho for more than 10 years to work closely with me to resolve and eliminate debt for many of my personal and business clients. Aho Law Office is the go-to firm I choose because Brian has always been caring and compassionate with my clients while tenaciously fighting to retain as much of their assets as possible while quickly eliminating their debt. Brian's extensive experience and knowledge of bankruptcy law and willingness to fight allow him to resolve challenges and cases that many attorneys won't. Don't let other attorneys learn on your dime. Rely on the experience of Aho Law Office to help you achieve relief from your creditors. Competent, compassionate legal advocates providing the clarity to protect tomorrow. For more information, call Brian and his staff at 612-271-4047 or email Brian directly at brian at office.com. Again, that number is 612-271-4047. Hi, I'm Kimberly Nibo with the Kimberly Nibo Insurance Agency, serving the community for over 27 years. People tend to be most concerned with price. That is, of course, until something goes wrong. Then the only thing they care about is their coverage. My experience enables me to uncover every available discount. I could save you up to 40% while still offering the proper coverage for the people you care about. Call today for a free review at 763-571-6111 or email me at kim at kimnibo.com. Russell Williams Home Services is your go-to company for all your window cleaning, pressure washing, and gutter cleaning needs. Serving the greater Minneapolis metro area since 2007, we have the tools, equipment, and knowledge to properly care for your home or business. We offer competitive, transparent pricing and free on-site or online consultations. Our large workforce allows us to complete even substantial projects, such as apartments, schools, and assisted living complexes in a timely manner, often in a single day. To see our window cleaning pricing structure and a complete list of services we provide, please visit our website at cleanmywindowsnow.com or reach us by phone at 612-423-3059. Do you have enough to retire? Do you even know how much you need to retire? Great Waters Financial specializes in helping people nearing retirement get ready for their next big challenge. Great Waters Financial can help you understand how much you'll need for a comfortable retirement, how long your money will last, and what you need to do now to make sure you can retire the way you want to. You've earned a great retirement. Let the team at Great Waters Financial help you make it happen. For convenient offices in the Twin Cities, greatwatersfinancial.com. Oh, I'm hearing the smooth jazz again, and that means it's time to call in. 651-646-8255, 651-646-8255, and the hosts will answer your call live on the air.
The Lone Ranger and Tonto. Yes. Laurel and Hardy. Oh, yes. Butch and Sundance. That's right. Turner and Hooch. Okay. Tango and Cash. Uh, all right. Starsky and Hutch. Uh, Itchy and Scratchy. Okay. Batman and Robin. Thank you. Got the idea. It's that every superhero needs a sidekick. That's why when Jason Walgrave needs help for his customers, he calls on Mike Overson at Leader One Financial. Find out how to get started on making your plan today at applywithmike.com because he's super. Laverne and Shirley. Exactly. Todd Rooker here to tell you about the most amazing jewelry store, Golden Treasures, on 805 Grand Avenue in St. Paul. I've known the owner, Todd Gimble, for almost 20 years now, and at Golden Treasures, not only do you get more for less, it's the experience that you and your special person will feel when you walk in the door. Todd truly puts his heart and soul into creating your experience, regardless of how much money you spend. This is Todd's customer-for-life philosophy. Take it from me, there really is no other jewelry store. You can't go wrong with Golden Treasures in St. Paul. 651-227-2711. That's 651-227-2711. Finding a good banker and CPA are like having a good doctor or mechanic. You cannot fully appreciate the value they represent until you're in a pinch and truly need them. However, that's not the time to go looking for one. Instead, you want to position and strategize well in advance for a favorable outcome. CPA Arliss Cleveland of Arliss Cleveland LTD is the CPA firm you've been looking for. As many of you already know, if you're looking for a great CPA, Arliss Cleveland gets my highest endorsement. Arliss Cleveland LTD has now formed a strategic relationship with Village Bank, conveniently located in the Village Bank building, located at 9298 Central Avenue North, Suite 412 Blaine, Minnesota. You can also find Arliss Cleveland LTD certified public accountants and consultants by going to accountingoffices.net or by simply calling 763-786-0639. That contact information again, accounting-offices.net or by simply calling 763-786-0639. What are the first three letters in the word SMART? SMA. And SMA Exteriors and Restoration has made SMART affordable since 1994. As an LP SmartSide Master Level Siding Installer, a GAF Master Elite Roofing Installer, and as an expert in installing windows made in Minnesota, made for Minnesota, you're guaranteed to make the SMART choice. Call today for your free estimate. 877-SMA-TODAY or go online to sma2day.com You're listening to Cover Your Assets with Todd Rooker. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Sorry about that. Mike and I are just chatting away here. So, so what I want you to explain to us, Mike, having talked about the self-employed borrower and the challenges that are represented uh, with those folks, regardless of who you are, self-employed or or a, a, a salaried or income earner, you are going to have challenges as you go along building an investment portfolio. Now, conventional financing in, in a lot of cases, or, or, or we'll just call it investment property financing, will generally top out at 10 properties. But you can buy, you know, properties that are duplexes, fourplexes, fiveplex now becomes a commercial endeavor. But you can do that each time, whether or not you do or not. That's another story. But as you go along, your ability to qualify becomes lessened with each new property that you purchase. So give us a scenario how someone would position to be able to go from one property to two to three to four to five and how they would build a portfolio in the way that we want to do that. Yep. So, you know, so when you're, when let's talk about just a subject property. So you're going to buy a subject investment property. We spoke a little bit earlier how you can use the market rents for that one. So 
if the appraiser says, hey, that property, you you can get $1,500 a month for rent on that one. You take 75 of the, 50, uh, the 1500 which is, what, 1150 I think. Um, and you can use that then. Um, to help qualify for that particular property. Right now, let's say you're you're going on and you go a year down the road. Now that subject property you just bought now shows up on your tax return. So now you have new information on that property. Hey, these are the rents that I actually brought in, right? Versus just what the market said I could get. This is what I actually brought in for rents. And then he here's where my expenses on this property. And here's my dollar amount at the end of the day. So now it's not just a simple calculation of, oh, I can get 70 use 75% of the rents. Now you we have, have real numbers. You have real numbers. And the underwriter is going to use those real numbers to say, okay, well, these are your rents that you brought in. Here's all your expenses you're writing off on the thing. Here's what we can actually use now for that particular property. So that property might have gained you $1,150 of qualifying income when you bought it, but it might be at zero now depending on how you filed your tax returns on that property. So so basically, folks, you, you are now in business. Even if you're an employee for 3M, you now have a business. And even if you don't have a business structure, your Schedule E, in essence, is income minus the liabilities. Right. Now, add to the fact that most of you detest paying taxes, And your CPA knows that. So if you are showing income on that property, you don't want to pay any taxes. So you've got a couple things to do. One is that you have depreciation on that residential property, which means you typically take the value of the property, or rather not the value, but the purchase price. You subtract out whatever approximately the lot is worth, and then you take that remaining value and divide it by 27.5, and you get to take that number and use it to depreciate what your income is, meaning depreciation against income, showing that you make much less income. And then... If there's money left over, your CPA says, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, you're going to have to pay taxes. So then you go out and buy equipment or have or or spend money on expenses to show that you make no money. And now you're going to qualify for your next investment property. And it shows that this property is a loss. So you pay no taxes. And now you can't qualify for that next property because this one is now taking from your income and not adding anything to it. Right. So then you get into that you get into that thing. So now if you go if you show now let's say you're just breaking even on this property. Your tax return says I'm breaking even on this property based on my income and my expenses on this thing. So now your personal income from your job now then needs to cover your personal primary house that you live in, needs to cover the payment on this investment property. But now if you're going to go buy another investment property, we get to use 75% of the market rents that the appraiser is going to put on for that one. So now you can offset the subject property payment. So how much what, what percentage of, over here. What percentage of the payment on the second property do you have to show within your income? What, so all right. all right, so you said we've got our own property that yep. our income has to demonstrate we can make the payments on. Yep. We've got the second property and then we've got the third property. So the third property is the typical, We here's market rents, and we can show that it offsets 75% of our payment. So our income only has to qualify for 25% of it. Yep. What about the second property? What about that one? How yep. much of our income do we have to show goes through that second property? So you're going to you're gonna take the full payment on your primary residence, uh-huh. and now in our example, the full payment on that second that's property because you're breaking even. That's what I was trying to show. And then, you know, the, the 25% of what's left over in the new one. So let's just say to make easy numbers, the new one's 1000 bucks um, For rental income, you can use 750 to offset it. So you have $250 a month to do that. So now you have two full properties and $250 that you got to offset with your personal income now. 
Do you understand, folks? You're running out of juice. (laughs) That's what we're talking about here. Now, if the property is profitable, making good money all by itself, then you have more income to show against those properties. But Remember that when you do that, now you're going to have to pay taxes on it. And your CPA knows that they're hired and fired based on what your tax liability is. So they're going to always want you to show that you make very little money because they want to keep their jobs from year to year with you. So you have to be smart enough to know that the strategy overall has to be more than simply minimizing taxes, lest you will not be able to build a real estate portfolio. So it's 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 why you want to have a good team and all on all sides, right? Uh, mortgage guy that knows what he's doing, CPA that knows what he's doing, you know, real estate agent, financial planner. You kind of get and your team Todd built on it, right? <laughs> That's why I pointed at you. I suppose people can't see me yeah, pointing at you, but you get Todd Rooker involved. And so then what happens is it's like, okay, here's my strategy, and I want to grow and gain these properties here. So now your team works to gain those properties, right? You're not going to have probably the best tax strategies that go along with that because your goal here is to be able to qualify for financing to acquire the properties. Absolutely. Now, maybe once you're at a certain spot where it's like, I'm happy now right. with the amount of properties, I don't need to qualify for more. Now, the gears shift a little bit with your CPA. Now, he's like, all right, so now the strategy is minimizing tax because we don't have to worry about trying to qualify for the next one. Absolutely. And the great news is that you can you can, you can can carry that loss forward and use it when you need it and not use it when you don't want to show it. And that's so important. So remember that, you know, when when you when you show losses within a business and owning real estate is a business when you can show that and you don't need to use all of those losses and depreciation is a loss. You can use what you didn't use before. So you're not losing anything, but you're positioning your financial transparency to look the way you need to look to qualify for the financing. This is the point of all of it. So you understand that when you buy a single family home, you just walk in, dump your crap on Mike's desk and say, can I close in 30 days? I mean, that's that's the extent of your knowledge of, 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 of financing. When you want to enter into the investment world, other, you know, more than just one investment property, this knowledge becomes critical, doesn't it? Yeah. You got to know how to position it and you got to have someone that knows what they're doing. Someone who can see kind of in the future of like, you know, so that's that's why we always ask, you know, anyone who's coming through is like, well, what's your goal here? If it's simply just a primary residence purchase, yeah, then, you know, that's one conversation. But if it's, hey, it's a primary residence purchase, but now what I want to do is this is what I want to do over the next 10 years. And I want to acquire some of my properties, this and that. Okay, well, now the conversation just changed because now... And dramatically so. Right, because now we're going to prepare for the future. So. Right. What might be the best for you today might not work with your plan. You right. might not be able to take the best thing today right. for whatever that is in order to acquire what you want to acquire. But at the end of the day, it's going to be the best for you to get your plan done. As opposed, so, so, so to expand on that, the notion would be show profitability eat the tax liability as a result. But then once you've acquired the properties, now you take the depreciation and you more than make up for the tax liability that you paid, you know, a few years earlier. So that that's the whole point. Now, we're going to end today in saying this. What we're describing, real estate, other than owning your own business, is quite literally one of the best financial growth strategies that exist. Being an American gives you access to this, yet so few people take advantage of it. Do you know that more wealth is transferred from generation to generation 
with real estate than any other asset in existence. That's why most of the people who are in government do it, because they know how well it works. That's why these things are preserved, but the average person is just clueless as to how it, how to go about doing it. And let me just say this, from a tax perspective, you hear me say on this radio show all the time that tax efficiency is more important than investment return. Let me just say that when you know how to use real estate, the tax advantages blow away Listen again, blow away the tax advantages in a qualified retirement account like a 401k or a 403b. I mean, it isn't even close, but most of you are unaware that it even exists. So if you want to know how to do this, talk to people like Mike and I, because we can teach you how to create tremendous net worth, growth, build assets that other people are going to pay for using real estate and your, your privilege as an American is that you have access to this. When they start taking that away, when they stop incentivizing this, America won't be the place it is today. So for as long as this is available, and as the environment is right now, Mike, mm-hmm. these incredibly low interest rates, man, oh man, get get off the stick, man. Get rolling. It's a good opportunity out there for sure. It's just a fantastic opportunity. Any closing thoughts, Mike, about this? Yeah, you know, so... I mean, we we got fairly advanced with what we're talking about today. You know, the average person out there would be like, I don't know what these guys are talking about. Um, it's not as hard as maybe it sounded today. It's really not. And we're here to help you. That's the, that's why you got us. Because we'll make you. it easy for you. All Easier. Right. Well, hope you enjoyed the show today. Know a little, a little too, a little sophisticated, but nevertheless, want to take you listeners along and help you all create wealth in your lives. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mike Overson, Leader One Mortgage. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hello, I'd like to talk with you about financial coaching. Traditional financial planners help you make decisions about stocks, bonds, and mutual funds with money you already have. That's great, but who helps you accumulate more money in the first place? Who helps you make day-by-day life decisions? Who isn't trying to sell you something? Like, should I go back to school? Am I wasting money on insurance? How to purchase and finance a car, boat, home, lake cabin, or investment property? How to start, manage, and sell a business? It's about making minor errors that become colossal mistakes and cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. The problem is that you're so busy pursuing your career that you're forced to make critical financial decisions that have a dramatic long-term effect on your finances without adequate research or information. Rooker Financial Coaching is like having a personal CFO for every decision. Don't waste time lamenting the bad decisions of the past or money that's run through your fingertips. Stop procrastinating. Call Rooker Financial Coaching, 763-559-3800. That's 763-559-3800. Call me today, Todd Rooker, 763-559-3800. That's 763-559-3800. This has been a paid program. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the management or ownership of Score North, KSTP AM 1500. Score North.